we'll be talking about uh, being profitable in the spirit. And our key verse is in Second uh, Peter. And uh, Peter is writing to a brethren and he tells them that giving all due diligence, do the following. That on top of your faith, add virtue. And in addition to your virtue, add, add knowledge. And when you gain knowledge, don't stop there. Add self-control. On top of self-control, add perseverance. On perseverance, add brotherly kindness. And on top of brotherly kindness, don't forget to add love. And he says, if these things dwell be yours and dwell in you richly, hallelujah, you will be neither barren nor unprofitable in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. So when I read that thing several years ago, as a young man, it really challenged me. I learned that you could be going to heaven, but you are unprofitable. Actually, the word barren, the translation of that word barren in Greek is called agos. A-R-G-O-S. It means to be unemployed. To be useless. And I said, how can a believer be useless? And the word, the second one, unprofitable, basically means you are unproductive and fruitful. But you may say, Brother Mulongo, perhaps that scripture is meant for non-believers. Let me show you. My brother, if you can project for us, or my sister, Second uh, Peter, the first chapter. We were told in theology, uh, uh, when we were taught theology, we were told that you need always to know uh, whose uh, that verse was meant for. So let's see. First Peter. I mean, Second Peter. There we go. So this is about the book. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ have received faith as a precious, as, as precious as ours. Can you see that? He's, re- he's writing that letter to those who through righteousness of God and the Savior Jesus Christ have received faith as precious as ours. He's telling you, this letter I'm writing to you, brethren. Hallelujah. So then chapter 3, chapter 5, the one I've just quoted is in this book. And so we began looking at two people in the Bible to see one who was fruitful and one who was not fruitful. And we began by comparing uh, two kings. One is David and uh, the other one is Saul. And you realize that one of them is a typical example of productivity. Another one is a typical example of being unproductive. And so let's look at the two, contrasting the two characters, David and Saul. All of them chosen by the Lord. The same dispensation, facing the same challenges. And let's see the difference. And I said that one thing about David, David blesses my heart. Among us, all the people in the Bible, David and Paul bless my heart. And the life of David is rich for us, brethren. It teaches, it equips us with wisdom just by learning at his example. And one thing I learned about David, as I mentioned on Friday, is that David never wasted time. 
Hello? David never wasted time. David understood the nature of faith more than his contemporaries. And David's experience was accumulated in private. Not hands-on job training. When this man is coming to the house of Saul, he's equipped. And actually they say that we have seen a man of Jesse. A son of Jesse. He's a mighty man of valor. A courageous man. A man of war. He had never fought many wars. He was a boy. But the people who knew him were giving testimony that he was a man of courage, a man of valor, of good speech, handsome man, and the Lord is with him. And so that's a challenge for me. I kept saying, Father, I want to be like this man, to be a man of courage, a man of valor, a man of good speech, a prudent speech, and the Lord is with him. So David accumulated experience in private. And I said on Friday, why did he do that? Why did this man decide to be different from others? It's because he had the inspiration of the Spirit of God in his heart. And we say that many of us sometimes we say, you know, I am not like everyone else. Uh, I am meant for, for great things. So people keep telling me, they say, that child, that child is unique, it's different. It's an inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts. And so God comes and tells Samuel, stop mourning for Saul seeing that I've rejected him. I have commanded as my servant, are you seeing that? I have commanded my servant who is faithful and will do what I want. And this time, when God is telling Samuel about that, David is a young man, not anointed, he's looking after, after cows, after cattle and sheep. So God is saying, I have commanded David when David is looking after sheep. And when David was commanded, I believe in his heart, he had the inspiration that God has called him in great things. He didn't perhaps know where he was going. Actually, he didn't know. But he had the inspiration in his heart that he had been called. David began accumulating experience by fighting the poor, the, the, uh, the bear, and fighting the lion. And so when David comes on the stage and meets Goliath, he had dealt with other demons. And he says, this man, this Philistine, is chicken feed. I'll take him out. And the guy, he says, he asks the people, what would it be done to the man that takes out this reproach from Israel? The man was already past killing Goliath. He was already negotiating. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have that kind of faith. That as they call me for an interview, I'm already thinking about which route I'll be using to drive to the workplace. I'm already thinking how much I'm going to ask for, not how I'm going to pass the interview. I want to be like David. You are seeing beyond the obstacle and you're negotiating the price. Saying, what will be done to the man that takes away this reproach? I want to be like David. A man of faith. Hallelujah. So, these two guys come together. And let's look at some three key characteristics that distinguishes them. The first one is that one of them was a man, what we call, he was a human resource person. He was a vision maker. He was a giant maker. And the other one was a vision killer. That if you came in the life of David, you will by no means be blessed. 
that when you accessed him, you will not live the same way you came. Brethren, that challenges me. That everyone who comes in my life must be transformed. Must change. You like it or not. Once you rub on me, magnetism must also rub on you. Good stuff. You go home and you say, hey, I met brother, I met a certain man, I did not know him. But he told me one word. Or the way he listened to me. Or the way he corrected me. I want to be like that man. David was like that. David will inherit uh, failures and make them a success story. He was a human resource person. Let's look at scripture. Repeat it at home. First Samuel 10.26. Remember you're talking about being profitable, right? First Samuel 10.26. Now, Saul also went to his home in Kibia, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. Now, in context, David had been crowned the king, been anointed the king. And on the first day he's crowned the king, valiant men, men of courage, strong men, accompany him. The first day the guy becomes the president, God touches the hearts of mighty men and they support him. Not always guaranteed. It's not always guaranteed that when you are, when you are promoted, effective people begin supporting. Otherwise, actually, it was, it's always the opposite. That every time you are promoted, violent people want to oppose you. But in this case, Saul is different. That God did not just appoint him, but gives him sufficient human resource to help me accomplish the vision. But when you read later on, you find Saul, actually these valiant men began, begin to desert him. They begin to desert him. And actually that's why at uh, one of the verses, chapters, Saul begins to offer sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel because Samuel was late. Why? Because the valiant men had deserted. And said, the few that are remaining here, I, won't want, I don't want to lose them. So he offers a sacrifice, profane sacrifice, and Samuel arrives. But most important, when Saul is dying, you remember the story. He died a cruel death, him and his sons. He had been deserted by the, by, 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 by the army. And, and a slave boy was the only one who was available. Son of Malachite, as, as, a slave, a slave boy, a shepherd. There was no military around him. Why? The man destroyed all the mighty men that were around him and only remained with small guys around him. Died a bitter death. Let's compare him with David. First Samuel 22 says, uh, 22 uh, from verse 1. And these are the men that came to David. Okay, there we go. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adlam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Okay, let's continue. And those who were, and those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. See the difference, brothers and sisters. One is inheriting a mighty army. Another one is inheriting people in debt. He's inheriting baggage. Same problem, you're both leaders, but the other one is having strong men, another one is having weak men. And actually, you later on, as you read later on, David begins looking for food for these guys. They were so broke that he went looking for food, begging for food. 
he goes to um, Abigail's home. What is the name of the husband? Uh, sorry. Ne- Naboth, yes. Naboth, yes. Is it that one? Sorry? Ne- ne- yes. Yes, yes. Nabal. The husband of Abigail. He was going to beg for food. For the army. The army was broke. Guys, discontent. Brothers, you don't want to build an army like that. You don't want to take kinship like that. People who are coming to you for assistance, not coming to assist you. Okay. In, in, in the world, secular world, we say do not hang with people in distress. Okay. You look for people who are, stre- who are strong. We say, um, the term they use, uh, they say hurting people hurt others. So avoid them. Have you heard that? <laughs> in the spiritual realm, actually, hurting people are a treasure. People in distress are a treasure. Okay, we will see why. So David inherits, inherits baggage. Now let's go to Second Samuel 23, uh, verse 8. Second uh, Samuel 23, from 8. And we see the difference. Actually, that one you read later. Uh, but you only want you to read the whole, the whole chapter. Uh, but, for those who have got a Bible like mine, it's titled, that section, David's mighty man. Do you have yours like that in the Bible? David's mighty man. Now, remember, this portion of scripture comes after another one with a title called David's last words. Okay? That's my Bible. So, this one is coming when David is in his sunset days. He's dying. Now, they begin now enumerating David's mighty man. Where did these guys come from? These were the same who were in debt, who were in distress, and in discontent. Forty years down the line, as Pastor said, our children, who we just prayed for here, ten years to come, these guys, you'll be so shocked. The ones with diapers and with running nose, you'll be so shocked. In this town, there will be policy makers. Now see, what has happened? The difference is because of the person they hanged with. One were hanging with Saul, others were hanging with David. Those who were with David grew every day. Grew every day. With the time they were called David mighty men. And when you read that list, it will bless your heart. There's one guy among his those. Very difficult name. Yeah, he's called Joseph. Let me not pronounce it from where I come from. That's very hard. This guy killed 800 people single-handedly. Do you know how many 800 people are? We've never seen them in this church. 800 are many people. And he didn't just kill children. He killed military guys, 800, single-handedly. You think about Bruce Lee and other people? This one was more than Bruce Lee. Killed 800 people. Now there's one again who really blesses my heart. I don't know why he did that. There's a time they were fighting the Philistines, one of the mighty men of, of David. And, and, and he's, and he saw a land full of lentils. Okay, Ndengu. In Israel. I think he loved Ndengu a lot. This man, what he did, he single-handedly protected that land of Ndengu, of lentils. And fought off all the Philistines and protected that land. Single-handedly. And actually the Bible says the, the Israel had deserted. So the man decided, because of our food 
I'm not going to leave this field. Kill all the other guys. Hallelujah. Mighty man. There's another one who killed people with a simple with a sword and hit the sword stuck on his hand. And the Bible says, and the military came just to come and take the loot. Hello. <laughs> These are the people that were in debt. Another one called Abishai killed 300 people. 300 men. Single-handedly. Those are not your age mates. These were mighty men of valor. And so one day, David is running away from his son Solomon, uh, Absalom. And Absalom calls his advisors. says, what should we do? And one of the advisors called Ahithophel tells him, I want you to appoint for me 12,000 people. For I know where David is in the stronghold. I want to pursue him and kill him. Because David was running away with a ragtag team of a few people. And, and, and Absalom says, your advice is good. Now let's get the second advice. They call a guy called Ushai. Ushai comes and says, look here, Absalom. You know your father. <laughs> you know your father. And the people who are with him, they are like bears robbed of their cows. You can't just attack these men with 12,000 people. Get the entire military from down to be a ship. Prepare yourself well. Your father is not your age mate. And the people are with him. You need a whole country around about you. You need a whole military. And they look at him and say, this man is right. They, they say, the advice of Ushai is best than Ahithophel. In other words, they agreed with Ushai's judgment of the guys around David. They were mighty men. There are few, but you need a whole country around you. They will finish you. If a guy can kill 800 people and he has got like around 12 of them around you, you do the math, the math and you will see. So in short, one was profitable, one was unprofitable. And so we say the first insight with those two stories is that as a person, as a man of God, learn to build others. Cast your bread upon the waters and the bread will come back to you. It will come back in full measure. Don't be like people of the world who pull others down so that their candles can shine. Build others. And I said, when you want to know that you are growing, you see the people who are coming around you. People who want support. One day, brothers, it just has come to my mind. One day I was traveling with a brother from this church. And, and for about a whole week, I don't know what had happened that year, but for a whole week I had been contending with people asking me for money. Okay. All the calls that were coming in my calls were phone of, of, was for money. So as this brother was driving, someone called me asking for money and I spoke loudly, venting my displeasure. And I said in my heart, I said actually loudly, do these people think that I am their MP? Because that's the image we have about our politicians, right? Those are the ones who give money. I am not their MP. Some of my relatives that my just village mates, they say, oh. So I told him, so I said loudly, do they think that I'm their MP? Why do they keep asking me for money? My brother, immediately finished like that, the whole spirit of God just struck me like that. I said, never say that again. Never say that again. People don't don't go to a barren tree. People go to trees that have got fruits. If there is a mango tree, our children are very intelligent. They know mango trees and they know other trees. If there's a cactus, you won't see children going to the cactus. They know cactus have got briars and thorns. But if there is a mango tree or an avocado, they'll go to check. Is it in season? So when God has blessed you, people see. 
Even those you don't know from our village and your constituency. They don't call the MP, they call you. Because they have seen that this man, the Lord is with him. Hallelujah. And so, my point is, let's learn to build others. Let's uplift others. Let's construct them. Within time, that bread will come back to you. And I gave stories of how people have been a blessing to me. And I learned this, particularly in the last few months. I learned that actually, you only need the Lord. You don't need a job to be successful. Job I need as being employed. My brother listen to this story. So I got out of employment and began my private business. And brethren, the people who have been giving me business are the same small guys that I used to mentor. The ones who used to come in my department for internship. Girls and boys. I have sat in the UN on this side and the person who's leading the interview from that side was the girl I mentored. And interviewing me for a multi-million project. Brethren, it can't get better than that. It can't get better than that. You discuss your deal at Java. So the same guys you're seeing one week today and beggarly, tomorrow, they'll be mighty men. So when God brings people along your way, my brother, equip them, refine them, let them grow. And the second insight is for the church. I said on Friday that if you want to see a church that is growing, you look at the number of Kinajonis and Kinajemo and Kinanimo and Oti who are coming to church. Those kind of guys with those kind of names don't have everything together. But within two, three years, they become having Wairimu, Wanjiru, James, Otieno. Another extra one year, they add a Mr. A Mr. Otieno. Hello? <laughs> They'll be growing. They'll be growing. They'll be growing. So don't despise those guys. When they come here, they look lost. Let's embrace them as a church. Let's open our houses to them. Let's invite them for small Bible studies. Those guys will become so productive in the church. And I said, those are people who are very loyal to the body of Christ. Very loyal. Fiercely loyal. Because they have seen you pouring your heart into them. They have seen you persevere them. And their lack of class. And soon they acquire class. They acquire wives and husbands. They keep moving. Soon they are elders of the church. We have equipped them. And the Lord is so happy. We are productive in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That point is made. So one of them was a vision killer. Another one was a giant maker. Okay. Let's go to the next one quickly. One of those guys esteemed personal strategy while another one was spiritual. Or you can say one of them was carnal and the other one was spiritual. And the Bible says that a carnally minded man will not receive anything from the Lord. But to be spiritually minded is life. So, let's see. I'll give you um, an example from scripture. Let's see First Samuel 14, 24, 30. Quickly, you can read that. First Samuel 14, 24, 30. First Samuel 14, eh? 24, 24 to 30. Okay. Now, my title here is Souls Rush Oath. It says, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Curse is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tested food. Okay. 25. Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground, and 
when the people had come into the woods, there was honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But, 27, Jonathan had not had his father's charge, the people, with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out his, the end of his rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. And eight. And one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Twenty-nine. But Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Look now how many countenance, how my countenance has, has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of the enemies which they have found. For now will there not have been much great slaughter among the Philistines. I like to See how his son correctly evaluates his father. He says, my father is troubling the land. In other words, my father is making wrong decisions all the time. We are in this mess because of my father's lack of vision, because of my father's carnality. So in short, in this story, you see Saul telling the people not to eat on that particular day. But only one man who didn't know about that instruction ate, and that was his son. And his countenance brightened. In other words, it shows that if the people had eaten that day, there was something about eating and victory. So if they would have eaten that day, they would have been guaranteed victory. But the father did the opposite. He instructed them to fast. He was a carnal mind. He didn't know the mind of God. So by coincidence, we realize the mind of God was for these people to eat. If they have eaten of the spoil, they will have perhaps gained more insight, more knowledge, more strength. But how did Saul make that technical error? How did he make that technical error? Now we find the answer in verses 18. The answer is in verses 18 to 20. Let me read it for you. Same chapter. And Saul said to Ahijah, Ahijah is a priest, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. In parentheses, 19. Now it happened, while Saul talked to the priest, that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistine continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. If you have got a mark pen, just unlike withdraw your hand. He's saying, stop what you are doing. The priest has come so that they can inquire of him about the mind of God concerning the war. So as, he's, as he arrives, the noise in the camp of the enemy becomes even louder. They come closer. And David, who was a man of personal strategy, who was a carnal man, decides they are too close. Let's stop these prayers and deal with the enemy. We'll come and finish the prayers later. Hello? I believe that if Saul will have gone ahead, despite the noise outside, to inquire of the Lord, the Lord will have told him, today, go to that bush and test of the honey and you will win the war. But he told the priest, stop it. Don't inquire of the Lord. He was a carnal man. So he became unprofitable. He missed the war. He fell in the war. But let's look at 
David in contrast. And I'll give you two examples of David. The first one is 1 Samuel 17.26. Just a glimpse of who David is. 1 Samuel 17.26. Just one. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? But B, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Hiya. Hiya. What gave David the confidence to say those kind of things? He was a little guy and is coming back to see the army with a very big revelation. And this guy's Bible says for 40 days, Goliath will come out and shout at them and go back. Remember the story. And the Israelites, Bible says, they went out with a shout of war. Religion. Religion. Religious stuff. But they didn't have spiritual revelation. But David comes and tells them, look here guys, why are you afraid of this man? The reason why it's easy to take him out is because he's defying the Lord. Did you see that scripture? This man is easy to take him out because he's defying the armies of the living God. So he's not defying Israelite or Jews. He's defying the living God. Therefore, it is easy to kill this man. It's easy to take him out. Let's not contend with him. Give me the opportunity I take him out. Because this man is abusing the law. Okay? See how different he is with the army. He is seeing a spirit, he has got a spiritual understanding of things. That this noise is not just about you, it's about the Lord. Let's go to the next example. Second Samuel 12 13. Just to pin this one home, how David was different. Second Samuel 12, it's one scripture again. 13. Ah, there we are. So David said, Nathan, the prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. You know the context. David has fallen into sin with Bathsheba. And God sends Nathan to come and inform him. See his response. This man is the king. Okay. See his spiritual understanding of things. Not many of us, pastor, you can bear witness, can do that even today. That you take a brother and rebuke him of the sin did privately. Not many of them will say what he said. Many of us will philosophize and try to look cool. In any case, he was the king. You don't rebuke the king just like that. But this man had a spiritual understanding. He was not a carnal man. He didn't say the wife was beautiful, or she exposed herself. He didn't philosophize. He went straight and said, I have sinned against the Lord. Brethren, we need this kind of a heart that when you are rebuked, you are not like a child to throw a tantrum. You take correction with a spiritual understanding. Okay, just as an addition, see what, see what Nathan tells him. That also is a good revelation. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Okay. Even before David asked for forgiveness, the Lord had already offered forgiveness. God's mercy. God's mercy. Before you even ask for it, they say, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. It has already been provided for David. The Lord loves you. You've done a foolish thing, but the Lord has forgiven you. Now, the last one about David's uh, spiritual understanding. 
uh, let me just quickly paraphrase this. You read this one in Second Samuel, uh, from five uh, seventeen. Now, David has become the king. Immediately, he's the king. And the Philistines, when they when the Bible said when they heard that David had become the king, they gathered themselves. Okay, in the fall of Rephaim. Aha, there, there, there it is. And so, since they had been providing for David, they knew his weakness and his strength. So David has become the king. And they decide, oh, the boy we have been supporting is now our enemy. Let's finish him before he becomes even stronger. Okay? And David, when he had it, he went to the stronghold to ask the Lord, what shall I do? Shall I go up against them? And the Lord says, go up against them for I have given them in your hands. Hello? And David goes up and he beats them and defeats them. Okay? They run away. But that was not the end of it. A few paragraphs down the line, the same guys come at the same place, the fall of Rephaim. And David goes to God and tells God, Lord, should I go up against them? If I were David, I wouldn't have asked the Lord because they were the same guys I beat yesterday. They have come in the same valley, the same way. I'll just wake up in the morning and go. But this man goes to ask the Lord, should I go up against them? And the Lord tells him, don't. Don't go up against them like you did yesterday. Today, change strategy. Go around about them. Surround them. And when you reach there, that's not enough. Sit and wait. And listen until you hear a sound of marching in the mulberry trees. And when you hear a sound of marching, know that I have broken forth. And attack! Exact strategy. Exact strategy. If they will have gone up like he did the previous day, he will have been defeated. But the Lord told him, though they have come, they are the same guys you beat yesterday. Today, change tact. Brethren, that was my revelation this year. I gave that to the church. I went to the Lord, asking the Lord about this year, and asking the Holy Spirit to help me, uh, to, to equip me with what I should be asking from the Lord. And this is what the Holy Spirit told me. Ask the Lord for exact strategy. Exact strategy. You do things so different from others. When these people are saying, let's go invest in this pyramid scheme, the Lord tells you, no, 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 no. You go and grow maize in the dry land, like Isaac, and you reap a hundredfold. When people are running this way because it's looking so profitable, so logic, you go different direction. Hallelujah. May God give us exact strategy this year. The last one in a few minutes, uh, how David was different from, from Saul is that David was a kind-hearted man. He was a man with brotherly kindness as compared to Saul who was a man of anger. One of them was a kind-hearted man. Another one was a man of anger. Let's begin with David. David becomes the king. And you realize, you, you know the story of how David became the king. That Saul, who was the leader then, pursued this man every day. An innocent man. And David becomes the king. And the first thing that David does is to ask, is there anyone in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to him? And they say, there is a lame guy. He's good for nothing. His name is Meshibosheth. He says, bring him. He will be among my sons, among those who will be eating on my table. Brethren, who does that? In the logic of warfare, they say, destroy your enemy completely. 48 laws of power. 
because the armies will coalesce around, even if that guy is lame, the armies will always coalesce around the hair. And that is why when they kill Saddam, not Saddam, uh, the one for Libya, Gaddafi, and his son ran away, called Islam. Remember Islam? He ran away to Libya. And the first thing Americans said is that we need to find Islam. Why? The Americans want to find Islam. He was just a son. He was not the father. But they knew that the armies always look for the heirs apparent to call Islam. They just want someone who had the DNA of the father, regardless of the situation he is in. But David was different. He said, bring me Meshiboshet. He's going to be eating on my table. He had a large heart. And David inherited the same heart to his son, Solomon. And the Bible says, Solomon had great exceeding wisdom and largeness of heart, like son of the seashore. He got from the father. The father had a large heart. And someone once taught me and told me, my brother, as long as you are a believer, one thing to be effective in the ministry is buy a big parcel of land, a graveyard. Expand your graveyard in your heart. A graveyard where you'll be burying all offenses. That's because offenses, when you're in the ministry, they'll be coming every day. If you have got a little land to bury them, you'll soon run out of, out of land. and you become carnal. So expand land. Go buy land in Makueni where is, there's enough space so that you can be burying all offenses. So David understood that. The second time, again, David is the king running away from his son, crosses Jordan, and there's a rich man called Barzillai, an old man, 80 years old. Barzillai had vision, had understanding. He begins providing for his army, giving him honey and other cards and all that. David's a fugitive, but this man is so passionate, he's so compassionate, that he begins feeding David. And soon David defeats his son Absalom. And the elders come to call David, come back to Jerusalem. And as he's crossing over Jordan, Bible says, Barzillai has quoted him, the old man. And David tells him, please, now that you have crossed Jordan, don't go back. Let's go to Jerusalem. I'll be providing for you and your family. And the old man says, look here. I am too old to go with you. I'll be a baggage to you. Go with my son. Go with my people. Because a guy called, called Chi, Jim Ham. So Jim Ham crosses with David. And David gives him one of the best real estates. We learned that later on in Jeremiah in Bethlehem. And Jim Ham becomes so profitable to the church or to the Jews, those that returned the returnees from, uh, from captivity. David never forgot an act of kindness. He says, the sons of Barzillai will always be eating with him. And when he's dying, the people that he mentioned about kindness, he told Solomon, don't forget this. The sons of Barzillai should be among those who should be eating on your table. Don't put them away. He never forgot kindness. He had a large heart. He had a large heart. The last example is about self-control. Still with David there. This guy called Shimai. Uh, Shimai is a, a relative of Saul. And David is still running away from Absalom. And Shimai, when he sees David running away from Absalom, he's so excited that David has been re- revenged because he's become the king in place of Saul. And he tells David, starts cursing David. I remember that time. David is still the king. He was running away from his son. He's still the king. And Shimai curses this man and says, you bloodthirst man. The Lord is repaying you for the sins, for the blood you shed in Saul's house. Which is not true. 
David never shed blood in Saul's house, right? So this man is lying, but he's a tribal man. You know, when you're a tribal person, it clouds your judgment. Okay, you do very foolish things. I saw that in church some years back, 2007, when people became so tribal, even church. Anyway, so he became so tribal that it clouds his judgment. And he begins getting stones and throwing at the king. The king with stones. But not just one stone. He followed him for distance. Throwing stones at him and kicking out storm, dust. <laughs> and the Bible says that he followed them behind the hills. Every time David will go this way, the guy will go this way and they will find him ahead and he will throw stones at them again. And one of David's men the one I mentioned earlier called Abishai, the one who killed 300 people single-handedly, tells the king, king, give me permission. This dead dog, give me permission. I go cut off his head. I call up off his head. And you know Abishai wasn't joking. A guy who killed 300 people and you're just alone. You're a chicken feed. And David tells him, no, 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 Abishai, we can't do that. Look at that kind of heart. Let's not kill this useless man. Perhaps after cursing, God will have mercy on us. David never killed that man. And so I gave a good, um, I know you can't understand that. Because, well, you know, it looks so simplistic. And I gave a good uh, experiment for those who are here on Friday. I told them, to know how deep that story is, wait for the convoy of Uhuru Kenyatta passing here, the president. Just wait, one of these days, perhaps today in the evening when he's coming from church, and throw a stone in the convoy. The next Sunday, come give us a testimony. How it went. I'm sure you are smart enough not to do that, right? Because you'll not be here to give us a testimony. Or if you'll be here, you won't be speaking. Because your mouth will be the other side. Those guys are ruthless in suits. And they've been trained to kill. They will beat you up so nicely. Just a single stone. Don't throw many. Don't even curse. But this man, the king, left that man. Actually, the Bible says, this man, because of pursuing them and, and, and offending them, Within time, they were so tired, they told the king, let's stop here and refresh ourselves. They grieved their hearts. He didn't kill them. Let's look at Saul in a minute. Saul was a man of anger. There's a time his son decides to give David permission in quotes to absent himself from the dinner table. Remember the story. And the first day, the father noticed that David is missing on his usual seat being the king, and Saul uh, didn't ask the first day. The second day he asked, when notice that David is missing on the second day, he asks the people, where is the son of Jesse? I have not seen him on the dinner table. And Jonathan answered and says, Father, David asked me of permission to go home to his folks to do A, B, C, D. And the father is enraged. Look at how simplistic that issue is. He's so enraged that he begins calling his son very bad names. Saying, you son of a rebellious woman. Let me not say all the others he said. Not good to say on, on, on the pulpit here. But he, he was so enraged as a king in the presence of his subjects because of a simple permission to a small guy. And the Bible goes ahead to say, the guy got a spear and wanted to kill his son. His son had to duck. My brother February, I, I'm sure it sounds so funny as a father. You want to kill your son? Over permission is given to his brother. But this man was dealing with something greater. It was just manifesting. Anger manifests in areas that you do not anticipate. In very small things. I shared an office with a young man. Well, we were almost age mates. 
This man was a top professional in Dar es Salaam. Uh, we were partnering with that international organization. Six foot tall, like our brother, um, February. Went to good schools. He was number three from the white people in the office. But I noticed one thing with this guy. Since we were sharing an office, me and him had been given a little back office. This man, very nice church-going guy, will sometimes throw a tantrum from nowhere. Very small thing will tick him off. Either he has ordered tea, and the tea girl has delayed, and this man will just be sweating, throwing a tantrum. And so one day I looked at him and told him, George, my brother, take care of this, this anger. It's going to curtail your movement, your growth. Sometimes we just have a call from a client and George will be throwing a tantrum on the phone. Wow. I don't know whether he listened to me. Last two weeks when I was in Dar es Salaam, someone tells me, hey, Godfrey, you know your friend so-and-so? He's having marital problems. The wife has left him. And I just remembered. Said it must be the anger. He had a natural kind of anger. He's a brother. I gave a story on, on, on Friday here of another brother whom I went to live with for three days in Arusha. Good man of God. A worshiper. He taught me how to worship. Him and the wife were worshippers of God. And God had blessed them with wealth and riches. And one evening he tells me, let's go see, visit my, my, my mom in the village. And we go with him on the slope of Mount Kilimanjaro. And as we were waiting for dinner, his wife calls him to go out to talk to a neighbor who had come around 8 p.m. at night. He goes out. And all of a sudden, this man, we hear commotion outside. I'm a new guy in a new, in a new town. This brother comes out from outside, makes a dash across the floor, the living room, across the bedroom, and emerges with a machete, a panga. I don't know what, what he was doing with a panga in the bedroom in the first place. And the wife is screaming at the top of her lungs, grabs him, and they fall on the floor. I am a new guy. I was so scared. And he's panting and panting. A big man with a belly, with a, uh, it was so ugly. And the next time I heard was screams in the village. This man chasing someone. People screaming, screaming, screaming. Then he comes back after half an hour or so. And he's panting and, and, and he comes and, and addresses us as he goes, say, you know what? That man, I'll one day kill him. He's saying that in the presence of his young sons. Brothers, I learned something. That the people in church we are worshiping together with, but they are dealing with the spirit of anger. And if you don't deal with that thing, you will not grow. You will be unprofitable. Like so. You will not grow. You will not grow. And others say, you know, I am like my father. My father was just like me. Or my mother. Or you philosophize and say, because I am, I am within a certain period of my, you know. No. 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 Brethren, it's not spiritual. It is not spiritual. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but it's not spiritual. Deal with that thing. Deal with the anger. You won't become the king. You'll become unprofitable. Because that thing keeps pulling you down. And it comes at a very bad place. It emerges at a very bad place. In a place that you do not expect. The day that they want to promote you, that day someone pours tea on your dress. You're having dinner. The bosses are there. And the next day they're promoting you. And because you have not dealt with that spirit, you throw a tantrum. And the bosses are like, ah, who is this guy? 
this is not the right people, right kind of person to promote. Anger is not a good thing. Deal with it. I have seen in my life angry servants of people, angry servants of God, people born again. I can give you hundreds of stories. Embarrassing stories. So brethren, as we come to the end, let's remember brotherly kindness and let's do away with anger. Hallelujah. Father, we lost for words of the instructions that you give us every day. And Lord, as your servant David, we say that we have sinned. We have sinned before you. And the same mercy that you extend David, we ask you, Lord, to extend to us today. The spirit of anger that can be so subtle in us, Father, we come to you today. Deal with us. Have mercy on us. Cleanse our souls. Cleanse us deep within with your blood. Wash us clean. And give us the right perspective. Make us like your son David, largeness of heart, brotherly kindness and patience and love for others around us. Let Father, don't let anger ruin us and ruin our profitability in our knowledge of your son Jesus Christ. We want to be profitable. It's our desire to be profitable. Let's be profitable in the knowledge of your son. Help us, O Lord. We are the clay in your hand and mold us. In your loving kindness and in your mercy, do not forget us. If you just want to pray for uh, one or two people, as our eyes are closed in that mood of prayer, uh, I don't know why we are repeating that sermon today. If you know you are struggling with the spirit of anger, just shoot up your hand and put it down. All our eyes closed so that we thank God with you. Pray with God with you. Thank you so much for that hand. Thank you so much for those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Many hands. Father, we thank you for a show of faith by our brothers and sisters. And Lord, because in this house there's anointing and healing this morning. Father, we release your anointing for healing. Let your healing come in our hearts. Heal everyone who has lifted his or her hand. Do not send them away empty-handed, for that is your word. Let them receive double portion of your anointing to destroy the spirit of anger that they may be a children who are straight, that they may be and mend others, that they may be productive in the kingdom of God. Father, forgive us. Forgive them where they have gone wrong. And this day they are beginning a new life in Christ Jesus, a life of productivity and fruitfulness. For there, this is by faith. We thank you, Holy Spirit of God. If you are not born again, please... Uh, any other person who's born again, we want to pray for you. Still our eyes are closed. We want to give you an opportunity to join uh, the kingdom of God. Anyone who's not born again? Hallelujah. Shall we then clap for, clap for Jesus? Let's appreciate the Lord. Hallelujah.